0: Hello, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories of overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. Lindsay Davis Stover is a partner at Edwards, Davis Stover & Associates, LLC, a strategic communications and public affairs consulting firm she founded in 2013. Prior to joining Edwards, Davis Stover, and Associates, Lindsay served in President Obama's administration as a senior advisor in the VA, Secretary for Strategic Communications, leading coordination for all internal and external communication efforts. Lindsay served as Chief of Staff to U.S. Congressman Chet Edwards, who represented Central Texas and Texas A&M University. Lindsay was a research associate for Texas A&M University, where she helped develop PowerSet. Powerful opportunities for women eager and ready for science, technology, and engineering. Lindsay is a graduate of Baylor University and received her master's degree at Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Lindsay, it's so good to see you again. It's It's been way too long. Too long,
1: too long. It's so wonderful to be with you today.
0: um, I'm so happy, we were just speaking. Has it really been 15 years?
1: It can't be. (laughs) Gosh, it's been so long. It's been since we worked together here that I haven't really been back to Texas AM and it's changed so much. It's, it's just wonderful. I love being back.
0: Well, you were so gracious to even be here with us today. Your resume, in catching up with you, I, I have to tell you that I keep up with you on social media and I have to stalk you from time to time because I'm so uh, amazed not only in what you do every day, but just so proud to know you and the work that you're doing. It is, it is commendable. It's needed. It's so highly respected. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for making the time to come back to Texas to
1: College Station to have this chat. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I always look for an excuse to come back to Texas, so <laughs> this, <laughs> this was a you great go. one. <laughs> this was nice. wonderful.
0: And I I can't miss the opportunity for the program that we worked on together, yes. Power Set. So just for the audience and just to reminisce quite a bit, when we first met, mm-hmm. I was a principal at Palacious High School, yeah. and one day... This amazing woman walked into my
1: office. <laughs> do you remember our first meeting? I do. Yeah. I do. And, you know, it's amazing because the idea of Power Set came. I was sitting with Dr. Petticord at Cafe Excel, and I knew I was about to head to graduate school. And so I guess that kind of gave me a boldness maybe that I hadn't had before. <laughs> and um, And I said... You know, have you ever noticed the rate of women graduating from engineering programs across the country, including Texas A&M? And the rate is so low. There has to be something we can do to further encourage young girls to go into engineering related fields. And literally, you know, those stories you hear on the back of a napkin? Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. And and I remember ending the conversation going, so what are you going to do about it? (laughs) And I, I got that. That is so awesome. <laughs> and I got in my car and thought, I cannot believe I just asked him. <laughs> what is he going to do about it, right? Yes. Um, and then I think it was a, about a week later. He called and he said, well, "I've been thinking about your question, and what I'm going to do about it is ask you to help me." And so from there, we kind of just started thinking through this idea and. I remember walking in to meet you and I'd heard so many wonderful things oh, about you. No. <laughs> and as soon as I met you, I mean, I just felt the connection. And I thought, what do we do to ensure that she buys into this program? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so, I mean, immediately, and I, I know once we started talking, I felt like I had known you for 20 years, you know, exactly. it was wonderful. And I just knew you were the right person to take this program. And I'm so grateful you did because you did amazing things for young girls across the state. So thank you.
0: Well, you are too gracious, but let me say to you, um, I, I know I've said it before and I will always say it. You and of course, Dr. Pedicord and NPI all that brought this opportunity to me at that time was such a gift. Um, because not only did it allow me to begin my career here, uh, which was amazing and so unforeseen. I had, that was not in the plans because I was going to be a superintendent. That was next on my list, but, um, just, I, I remember that day you coming in and having this conversation and I thought, oh my goodness, her spirit. So I think that was maybe where we connected was our spirit for the passion for our work. And for me as a high school principal, just always wanting that direct link mm-hmm. to higher ed, to agencies, to community members, to industry, that was always that, that missing piece mm-hmm. for us. So when you walking in, I always tease the NPI colleagues at that time. <laughs> it was like angels sing. I could hear them singing. <laughs> Likewise. Because, <laughs> because I knew this was going to be great and how wonderful because I want you to know, I think that from those early days and with all of our partners' help, of mm-hmm. course, and all the buy-in, all the educators that helped uh, make that program and those that followed so robust, Um that it has really been something that I think we should all be proud of mm-hmm. because it took all of us to do it. We've all built built a program that has legacy, mm-hmm. and I think truly um, met the mission.
1: Absolutely, and I think too, you know, in so many ways, a program like that was a trailblazer. Yes, at the time, there wasn't a focus. Yes, on encouraging young girls. Yes, to you know, connect in science and related fields. And I think, you know, in so many situations, you know, you talk to women and they know the point in their academic career where they lost confidence in science and math related fields. And that's what I was so excited to work with you about because you knew firsthand how that happened, when that happened for young girls. And I think that expertise you brought and that insight was incredible, because I do feel like the program really touched young girls at the right time in their academic career, and gave them the confidence and the mentorship to go into those related fields. And I know, I remember looking at the test scores with you, girls and boys science related, uh, math and science related test scores, and we were seeing how high these young girls were scoring. And so we were trying to figure out what happened, you know, in high school, what, made them disinterested in those yes. fields and some you know obviously just chose other career paths right. or chose other interests but they're just the trend was undeniable right and I think Absolutely. having a program that really focused on lifting these young girls up in a way that maybe they hadn't been lifted up before and giving them the confidence they need to dream big and to do the big things that maybe traditionally they had seen men do Absolutely. Right. Um, I think at the time in which we did it, you know, it was, uh, I think, you know, it, it was very much a, a trailblazing program. It was special. Yes, it was. And I
0: think something that continues through your work, and I want to speak to that because we're talking about mm-hmm. this, but you've accomplished so much, so I want to go in different directions. But before we leave it, I think... From what I see that is consistent through your work and what I try and what we hope to do as a team at NPI now with all of our program development is also look at things in the creation of coulda, shoulda, woulda, right. what were the things that we could have done better or what we wish we would have had or all the things. So when back in those early days, it was just simply, it was clear we had the students that had the the ability, they have the aptitude, right. but they never considered it because no one ever just mentioned it to them. And right. it's amazing what that one seed of just consideration, mm-hmm. hey, have you ever considered right. what those seeds plant? Mm-hmm. But something you mentioned, and I want to jump right in before we go into some of your amazing professional accomplishments. You mentioned about young girls losing their confidence in science and math, STEM. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a time that you lost your confidence or maybe you lacked confidence in your own abilities?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I grew up wanting to be Sally Ride. I grew up wanting to be an astronaut. And um, I was one of those kids that probably for various reasons would stare up at the stars, you know, yes, and, yes. and um, I remember very vividly having a chemistry teacher um, that completely shattered every ounce of confidence in science Mm -hmm. and, and even math that I had. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was the point for me where, you know, I, I think I really shifted. I have always loved to read and I know i retreated back into my books, you know, and, and thought, you know, maybe I should pursue other interests too. And, um, you know, I can I can remember just being humiliated and embarrassed, mm. and um, you know, working with a teacher that kind of stripped that excitement away from me mm. in a science related field. And um, so, I think for me, that experience in particular, I always wondered, right? Had that not happened, would I have done something in science or math related fields? Yes. Um, I don't know. Uh, I love what I'm doing now, so it's hard to say that. But, you know, I I just, it made me wonder how many young girls go through those types of experiences. And I think in so many ways, young girls suffer silence, you know, in a a silent way. I I never really, I I ended up telling my mom about it. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting moved into another chemistry class where I excelled and did wonderfully and loved the teacher. And it just was a great experience. But it was a really tough semester I had where I didn't do well on any of the projects or the test. And here I was had always been a good student. Um, I always had prided myself on working really hard and studying hard. Yes. My mom was an educator. Yes. So education in our family was everything. And I'd never done that poorly. And I also had never been in a situation where when I asked for help, I didn't get it in that mm-hmm. way. Yes. And so... So for me, it was definitely a moment where I know I shifted into other interests that I had. And and I think now I'm thankful I did because I love the work I'm doing and I'm very passionate about policy work in particular. Um, But yeah, it it always made me wonder how many other girls had that type of experience and maybe not exactly, but what in their life, you know, knocked their confidence down to a place where... They considered other things. And and
0: that's so as painful as that that is to hear as an educator. It's important for us to hear those stories because if we don't, then we can't address them. Right. We won't be able to work to resolving them or doing better. Since we know better, we yes. should do better. Yes. But that's important to articulate because I think when... We are very intentional about planting those seeds for positivity mm-hmm. and for growth and expectation. We cannot deny that we all have been given seeds right, or have been planted for us that have been negative. So with that in mind, I wanna know, because this is a path of most persistence, yes. I wanna know your stories, not only of how you've worked to overcome personally, but with all your excellent work as a public servant working for mm-hmm. um, for government and all the good, can you talk about your work, what you've done, what you're most
1: proud of? Yeah, you know, I feel like I've been very fortunate mm-hmm. in my career, and um, you know, I, as a Baylor student, had an internship in Washington D.C., and I was an intern in Senator Kennedy's office uh, from Massachusetts. And here was this girl from Texas, I've never been outside of Texas (laughs) really before, (laughs) and I show up in this Massachusetts office, right? And and, um, I had so much fun. And it was during the time when the country was struggling with whether or not to go to war with Iraq. And Senator Kennedy was on the forefront of a lot of those policy decisions. And I remember helping draft a speech that he gave on the Senate floor that... um, i realized how much of an impact you can have i mean i was i don't even know 22 i guess 21 22 and and um it was amazing and i just realized at that moment that public service was a way i could really touch people's lives in a really meaningful way and while I was up there, I was able to obviously meet my hometown congressman. um, And it was Congressman Chet Edwards. And so when I graduated, I'm a master's from Baylor as well. So when I graduated with my master's from Baylor, um, Texas had just gone through a redistricting and Chet was hiring here in Texas. And so I um, remember interviewing with him in a Firehouse in Georgetown, Texas. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And probably I I felt like I had the worst interview of my life, but I wanted so much to work for him. I had admired who he was as a legislator. I had admired what he had done for Waco. And, you know, at the time I was a Baylor student, so I knew all the things he had done for Baylor. And I just wanted that opportunity. And so... I remember really struggling with, do I stay in D.C. or come back to Texas? And I decided to come back to Texas and work for Chet. And, you know, I was 22 years old, and he and I still work together. That's amazing. <laughs> Many years later. Um, but I really had the opportunity to work on issues that affected people's everyday lives. And I was fortunate because... The position he was in, he was chairman of the Appropriations Committee, the MILCON VA Appropriations yes. Subcommittee. And so in his position, he was in charge of military construction budget and also the VA budget. Yes. And I became very passionate about VA issues for a very personal reason, because mm-hmm. my grandfather was a World War II veteran, and he honestly didn't always get the care that he had earned and deserved from VA. And in many situations, I navigated the VA bureaucracy system for him. Goodness. And so I realized how hard. Here I was, you know, working for a congressman who was in the position to fund the entire VA. Yes. And my family struggled with how to navigate it. And here I had all the resources in the world to figure it out. And I, could, I couldn't do it. And so that's how I became really passionate about veterans' issues and making sure veterans get the health care they deserve. Because I saw what my grandfather went through, and I knew what he had sacrificed to serve our country. And I thought, no one should have to go through this kind of red tape just to get health care, the health care that they have been promised by our country. And so I was really fortunate uh, to be able to work for Chet during that time, and I really dove into veterans' issues and became very passionate about women veterans' issues in particular, um, because you know, while it was hard to navigate the system for my grandfather, I was learning that it was even harder for women veterans to navigate a system that had not adapted to being able to care yet for women veterans in in a way that they should be cared for given the sacrifice they had made for our country. So that's really what I became very passionate about and was in a really meaningful position to work on policy that mattered for women veterans. And what I loved about the work that I did with Chet was we could see the impact yes. here at home. And yeah. so being able to you know, fight for veterans in texas um and see the impact that policy was having on their lives was just incredible and you know one of the the stories that chet tells and i know it's one of his proudest moments in congress and i think all of us on his staff it was one of our proudest moments too was when he was able to pass the john david fry scholarship Mm -hmm. and he was at a post office ceremony a ribbon cutting ceremony and he met Malia Fry and her family. Mm-hmm. And Malia Fry had just recently lost her husband and who had been serving uh, our country. And Chet kept thinking, there has to be more that we can do for these kids who just lost their father and combat. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, renaming post offices and, honoring you know our service members is fantastic and we should all continue to do that but he just kept thinking there has to be more we can do for this family right. and other families who have lost a loved one and so he was able to pass the John David Fry scholarship and it is now part of the big larger GI Bill uh, but it gives every child who lost a mother or father um, in combat since 9-11 a full college scholarship, and it's those moments when you realize that you're working for someone who has that same heart for service Absolutely. that I know that's his proudest moment, but all of us on staff, I think that's ours too, because we saw the direct impact it had not only on, on those children, yes. but on so many children who, I believe has sacrificed so much, and, and I think we always talk as a country how our service members have sacrificed, yes. but their families have also sacrificed, and I think that's a part of the conversation that I know we're starting to have yes. now, but it hasn't always been a part of the conversation, and and so, you know, that's one example. I think you know when I was working at the VA, um, I had the opportunity. I was a senior advisor to Secretary Shinseki, and the issues that we were able to work through. We put together the first, you know, tiger team task force that really took a hard look on how VA cared for women veterans in particular. And we made some big changes, recommended changes. We made some small changes, you know, simple changes like, you know, going through the hospitals, the VA hospitals and making sure the beds weren't turned towards the door. Right. It's those little things. Those it's the little subtle things. things. Right. Yes. Making sure that women veterans, when they walk through the doors, of the VA, they were asked for their DD 214, not their husbands. Right. right. Those those small changes that I know, you know, VA is continuing to make. Um, I was very proud and honored to be a part of the start of some of those those changes and have the opportunity to serve an, an administration and a secretary who really valued um, veterans and the sacrifices that they have made and their families have made. So thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I'm I, so glad that
0: you took the time to go through that because all of that work is so important. And unfortunately, I think sometimes our veterans do not get mm-hmm. the attention, the, the services that they need. And uh, thank you for your work. But I want to go back just a little bit because you said you've dropped so many nuggets of gold uh, <laughs> that I want to to follow back on. A couple of things. Early on, you mentioned that you helped write speeches. Mm-hmm. And early on, at your very beginning, meeting Congressman Edwards, mm-hmm. you talked about pursuing that opportunity to work with him. I want to know two things. Mm-hmm. First of all, helping to write speeches at that level, words have to
1: matter. They do. So
0: I want you to talk about the importance of words, Mm. how they're delivered, why they're selected, and then perhaps also how you prepared. How does a 22-year-old prepare (laughs) and really get themselves ready Mm -hmm. to interview for a congressman?
1: Oh, those are great questions. Um, You know, I was raised by an English teacher, and so um, I fell in love with reading and sentence structure and the way words can make someone feel Mm -hmm. at very early age. And you know, it's tough, honestly, being raised by an English teacher. Yes. Every English paper <laughs> you write in school is under strict scrutiny. And maybe every um, phrase you utter. Every phrase, right? <laughs> and um, I remember, I mean, the first word, I, I don't even remember what the first, like, cuss word was that I said <laughs> growing up. But I remember my mom saying, you are too smart to have that word in your <laughs> vocabulary. You know, I mean, that that's what being raised by an English teacher yes. is like. And um, so I've always... I've always really been fascinated by how words make people feel. Mm. And, you know, I think for me, and helping to write that speech and many speeches since then, um, I always think about how people will feel when they listen. Because I I don't know about you, but I don't always remember what a speech, what they said in a speech. Do you remember how... Yes, but I, I always remember how they make me feel. Yes. And so I think really figuring out how to capture stories and um, and policy and bring that policy to life I think has been something that's always fascinated me. And I love being able to use personal stories and and talking about just the, the real impact you know, that policy has on people's lives. Because I think, you know, in Washington, it's so negative, especially right now. And there's a bunch of platitudes that are put out, but what do they really mean, right? And I think it's so important that policymakers and public servants and and anybody, right, break down these big concepts so that we all understand you know how these changes or how these policies can affect our lives and i think that's the best way for people to be able to judge too you know whether or not they agree with the policy or not i yes. think you know unfortunately right now we're we have different stovepipes pipes of news organizations and you know people get their news in different places yes. and you know, we don't have that trusted source anymore, right? We don't all tune in to the nightly news together yes. collectively as a country anymore. Yes. And so I think it matters. Words matter. Facts matter. Um, making sure we get those right matters because I do think so much depends on it. And so for me, it's it's a love and a passion that I have um, in terms of communicating. But how I Put together my thoughts and prepared for an interview. Yes, I know it's the second <laughs> part of your question. Um, it's interesting because it—it really was. I—I I walked out thinking it was one of the worst interviews I had ever had, and at that time I hadn't had many. Right, I was right. twenty-two, um, but you know, I—I I had all of the policy answers down pat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what i quickly realized is while chet was interested in what my views were on policy yes he was more interested in that interview in getting to just know me right and and now that we've worked together i guess over 20 years now that is so who he is you know i mean he really wants to get to know people and make that connection with people and i think for him that's why he was so successful in congress is he Really got to know his constituents, and he yeah. really understood what people needed, what they wanted, what their challenges were, and worked together with them to try to figure out how do we create better solutions. And so, you know, now looking back, it makes a lot of sense. But I was terrified as, <laughs> as a 22-year-old. absolutely. And as I, you would expect, yes. I remember him asking <laughs> me questions about, you know, who my heroes were and. What inspired me and all of those things, and I kept thinking I wanted to talk about, you know, college loan repayment and you know all you these policy prepared. issues, right? <laughs> I, I had them all; I memorized all these notes. So. <laughs> uh, but it was so funny because I still kid him about this. Um, he asked me, and I, here I had just graduated from graduate school at Baylor, and I remember him asking me, and he said, "So, why did you get on your SAT?" I don't know. I mean, I sat there blank and I thought, I have no idea what I made. And at this moment in time, I have no idea what I made. And so I, I remember saying, I don't remember. I'll have to get back to you. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe. But it was such a, like, a small question that I had hyped up for all these big questions that yes. I just was like, I have no idea. And I, you know, I remember telling him, I just graduated from Baylor with the academics award. I I mean, I wanted him to know I wasn't, you know, Um, but it, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was hard. And, um, but what I walked out from that interview, knowing Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to work for him. I knew I had to work for him after that interview. And I think that to me, you know, he did such a great job of trying to get to know me here as this nervous, you know, 22 year old. And, took the time, I mean, here he was a US congressman, took the time to try to get to know me. And I felt like through that, I got to know him even more too. And so, um, you know, it was a a great experience and uh, it brought me to College Station, uh, which I'm grateful for. My husband and I lived in College Station for a while and still have wonderful friends here. And uh, it's just, it's a great place. And so I'm thankful for all the opportunities that working for him. Brought to me, um, and the experiences, and and two, I, you know, I still learn from him every single day, and I think that's what's exciting to me about my work now. Is I think it's so important to have someone you work with, yes, that teaches you something every day, that you can learn from every day, who can challenge you, and and all of those things, and and I've been very fortunate in my career to have had that. Um, he's been an incredible mentor and friend to me and and to my family and to my daughters. And and, and it's been a a wonderful thing. And I was able to have a great relationship with Secretary Shinseki when I was at the VA. He too was someone I was able to learn from every single day. So I've been really fortunate in my career to be able to work with people that I admire and I respect and that I can learn from every day. I love that.
0: And and thank you for reflecting back on those two questions. And what I'm hearing, and I hope our audience hears, especially our younger audience, that in your preparation to have all the right answers mm-hmm. for your interview with him, you did the homework, you, you were prepared. But not only was he interviewing you, it sounded as though you were interviewing him. Mm-hmm. And through that obviously 20 plus years, Mm -hmm. you all are still strong colleagues working together on more issues Mm -hmm. and more projects and things like Mm -hmm. that. So I think that is such a valuable um, aspect of your preparation and your experience that I hope, especially our young people here, because it, it should, it, in the best of positions, that's Mm -hmm. the way it should be. It should Mm be um, in any healthy working environment, you hope to give and take, and it's about right. providing inspiration to each mm-hmm. other, motivation, experiences, and all the things. So, thank you for reflecting on that. I, you mentioned something else, and so uh, there's so many things. Sure. So, uh, thank you for staying with me. But you mentioned the negativity of an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Washington. And and sadly, that negativity can permeate right. lots of different places. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though there's a bit of those negative clouds in lots of different places. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, since you work there, you spend so much of your time there, mm-hmm. you live in the area, how do you persist in focusing on the positive and not being sucked in for lack of a better word mm-hmm. to that negative space um so that it doesn't cloud your efforts or taint you in some way how do
1: you how do you stay positive lindsay wow that's a good question and i will admit it's hard at times it really is hard at times you know i think for me i had the perspective of having worked on capitol hill in a time where bipartisanship was not a four-letter word, right? Right. It was important to have buy-in on both sides of the aisle for policy. And you wanted buy-in from both sides of the aisle. And, you know, was it perfect? No. But it didn't seem to have the same mean-spirited element to what is there now. Yes. And I think that, for me, gives me hope that we have a chance to go back there, right? And, and you know, I know when Chet would pass the MELCON VA bill, it would pass almost unanimously, right, on on both sides of the aisle. And it was both parties working together on behalf of veterans. Mm-hmm. And still, I think, in so many ways, veterans issues, in particular veterans policy, I, I would argue was probably – one of the spaces where there still is bipartisan work happening um, and actively happening. And so that for me is, is wonderful because that's what I am passionate and work on yes. every day. But I think having that perspective and knowing that it's been like that before, yes, and it wasn't all that long ago, um, then maybe we can get back there again. And I think what provides me hope honestly are the younger generations yes you know and i think a lot of the the meanness and kind of the the darkness right now in our politics is not coming from our younger generations right right and you know when you talk to uh students about you know what they want and you know what's important for you know them and hopefully their families or future families one yes, day yes. we all want the same things right we all want to be um you know in a place where there's good education good health care for our families you know that everyone has the opportunity to live up to their god-given potential right yes. and just and to thrive and in our careers and in our families and all of those things i mean when you break it down we all really want the same things right and i think we've got to remind ourselves of that as we you know go to the policy table right that we're all coming from it you know very different backgrounds and cultures and opportunities or our lack of opportunity right Mm -hmm. and but ultimately we all want the same things and i think we've got to get back to that and and i think too you know part of what's contributed to the darkness right now around politics is that we have, we are starting as a country to only get our information from these silo forces, media forces, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's dangerous because, you know, it's important that, you know, people don't just look to MSNBC for all their news or don't just look to Fox News. It's important that we all educate, really educate ourselves on major policy decisions. And I think it's also important for us to be bold in what we believe in. And, And I say that because, you know, I think if there is a Democratic policy or a Republican policy, the atmosphere right now is well. If you're a Democrat, then you don't even want any part of of what Republican policy is having right. to say. Or if you're a Republican, you don't want any poli- you know part of what Democratic policy mm. has to say. And I I think, you know, neither party has it right on every issue, right? right? Which is why we have to come together and Absolutely. and put our ideas together because I think our country is really at a pivotal point right yes. now, right, with COVID, um, with all of kind of just the hate <laughs> right yes. now that has clouding so much of, of our everyday lives that we have to come together as a country. We have to exchange ideas, and we have to sit down and work together. And it can't be a bad thing when you have Democrats and Republicans coming together to try to work through some of our major challenges in this country. I think it's I think it's what we have to do as a country. Yes. Um, but honestly, it's the younger generations that give me hope in doing that. I love that.
0: And I thank you for that because we're, you're speaking at it from that perspective of politics, but that transcends every relationship. Absolutely. It, family dynamic, yes. community dynamic. So thank you. And and I want to go back to a word you said.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What does bold look like? You said mm-hmm. sometimes we have to be bold because for some bold might look a different way mm-hmm. from someone else that says bold or intense. So what does in, in that context, mm-hmm. what does bold look like to you?
1: I mean, bold looks like to me, breaking free of the norms,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? It, and not being afraid to do that. I see sometimes our policymakers, who, you know, don't wanna walk next to someone from the other party because the news media might pick it up and then social media takes it and runs. Yes. And, you know, and I would love for our policymakers to be bold in those types of situations and say, no, I'm gonna go to lunch with whoever, you know, yes. um, and try to figure out this problem for our state or for our country. Um, you know, I think that's what we're missing right now is, is that courage, right, to do that. And, um, you know, I think there are some in Congress trying to do that. Yes. I think there's some at the state level trying to do that. But I think we all could do more, right, like and it. encourage our policymakers and our leaders, our community leaders to get outside of their own comfort zones and do that and I think it does take a boldness to be able to get out of your own comfort zone, to walk in the shoes of someone else, right? To make a, a sincere and meaningful connection with people they may not you know, otherwise connect with because I think it is collectively gonna take us all to, to move out of this.
0: Thank you so much, and I love that perspective and and, um, providing that extra uh, definition or explanation because, again, words mean so much. And I I knew you would just wrap that up in in an amazing way, and you did. Thank you for tying it to courage because that's what I'm hearing from you. Mm -hmm. When you use the word boldness or being bold, I felt it as courage. So thank yeah. you for going there with me. No,
1: I do. I think I use that word interchangeably. Yes. Because yes. I think courage is so hard to find sometimes.
0: Absolutely. Sadly. So I want to take a little bit of a turn. So you mentioned, um, a negative experience that you had early on mm-hmm. as a, a young person. And if I'm not mistaken, you have children I yourself. Yes. So if you don't mind, With your children, Mm -hmm. as they look at you, I want to know, as a mother myself, Mm -hmm. and those that are listening to this conversation, I want to know what you want your daughters to see when they look at you,
1: Lindsay. Mm. Wow. (laughs) I want them to see a woman who loves them with everything I have, first and foremost. Um, I want them to find safety with me. I want them to be able to um, recharge with me. Um, And I want them to see a woman who is strong and who she is and what she believes in. And I want them to see a woman who is willing to sacrifice and work to ensure they have a better future. And I think you know, for me, everything I do now after becoming a mother is for them. I want to do my part in creating a better world for them to grow up in. And I wanna leave the world better for them than it was for me. And I want them to do the same for their children one day too. But I do. I want them to see a woman who is strong and um, maybe doesn't get it right all the time. (laughs) I want them to see me fail too, and I think that's a really important lesson. I think, especially now, in like the age of social media, when you put all of yes the good things online, I want my girls to see the failures too, because I believe for me, the lessons come and the failures, right? Absolutely. And they don't necessarily come in the successes as much. And so I do. I, I really want them to see me fail, but I want them to also see me never get up because I always tell them, it doesn't matter how you got knocked down. It matters how you get up. Absolutely. And I want them to always see me get up with strength and courage and, um, you know, a, a passion for... You know, just people and, and doing what I can to make other people's lives better. I think that's that's what I'd love for them to see. I want them to see my servant's heart and, and why it's important to, to do the work.
0: No doubt they see that and more in you every day, all day long. But thank you for taking the time to go through that because... I think as women, um, it's important for us to realize the the influence that we have not only on our own children, but those around us and especially someone in your position. I think it's lovely that you have that awareness and that you have that as part of your mindset. And I ask also because as you know very well, we're getting ready to celebrate next month International Women's Day. And I think to be intentional in what we hope for others, um, it's, it's important for us to hear it ourselves because mm-hmm. sometimes we don't think about what we do in a, that intentional way. Mm-hmm. So thank you for, for doing that. And, and I wonder, too, not only you know, what it, it was or what it is that you hope that they see when they look at you, but what do you hope for them mm-hmm. in their futures Because they're still young, right. And, um, they have so much before them. What do you hope for them? And girls, children, boys, Mm -hmm. what do you hope for young people in general for the future? You
1: know, I think building a world full of compassion for others Mm -hmm. is what I want them to see. Um, I also want them to see the injustice. I also want them to see the inequity. And I want them to stand up to it in every way they know how. And I think having that confidence and that inner strength inside to be able to do that, I feel like that's my job, to help them have those things so that they do have the tools to stand up one day when they need to. And um, you know, I think that's, one thing that's really important uh and i hope that my two daughters will have that and i already see um the courage they have that i know i didn't have (laughs) at their age um you know and um i'm just in awe of both of my my daughters and and who they are at such a young age and their conviction at such a young age. And so I think seeing that and their friends and other young people, I mean that's what gives me hope. I mean they I always tell the girl my girls you can change the world. Yes. You know, yes. and I do believe that every person has the ability to change the world. And you know, I think it's it's just important that we create a world that's accepting of all, that we create a world that you know, doesn't tolerate the judgment and the injustice but instead works together to figure out ways to overcome it and I hope my daughters are very much a part of that.
0: It's simply beautiful. So I'm trying to be very respectful of time and as we begin to close out I want to know is there anything that you hoped to address or discuss with me that I haven't brought up or something you want our audience to hear
1: um, that I haven't already. Hit on? Um, you know, one of the things too, and I'm just reflecting on the question you yes. just asked, that's a really good question that I kind of actually want to continue <laughs> reflecting on. You know, what, what do I want my girls and that? Because I do think as mothers, we get so wrapped up in the day to day, right? Yes. The We got to get to soccer practice on time. Yes. Did you finish your math homework? You know, yes. all of those things, right? And you, so you, you do lose sometimes the big picture of what you would like to pass on to them. And I think that's a really powerful question. And one of the things too, that I would love to pass on is, I want them to always take a chance on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I want them to take some risks in life and not be afraid to fail. And I think for me, looking back on my childhood, I was crippled in so many ways by the fear of failure. Fear, fear. I don't want them to have that fear. Yes, you know, and and failing is terrible sometimes, and it's hard, and it's hurt, hurtful, and all of those things. But it is so beautiful too, and I think I want them to see the beauty in that as well, because that's where the growth happens. That's where, you know the change really happens. That's where the lessons are learned. And nobody likes to fail, but I never want them to be crippled by that fear of failure. Because I do think in so many ways for me personally, um, especially as a young girl, it, it held me back. And um, it wasn't until my late 20s when I felt like I could really break free from that fear of failure. And that's when I really felt like I began living in a way that was not only meaningful to myself, but probably meaningful to other people, too.
0: No doubt it has that ripple effect. Yeah. No doubt. Thank you for that. That was lovely. So I want to begin to end our conversation with something that I've been doing lately. Mm -hmm. It's rapid-fire phrases. Okay. Okay. So no right or wrong answers. I'm just going to begin a phrase, and you finish it however you would like okay you ready I think I think think you are no doubt doubt this is probably the
1: part that makes me the most nervous that's (laughs) why I leave it for the last
0: okay so phrases I'm going to start you finish okay I believe in
1: I believe in the power of people and I believe that every person can make a difference I trust Wow, that's a really profound question. I I trust in who we are as a country. I trust in that we will continue to be a beacon of hope and light for the rest of the world. I, I trust that, that we'll, we'll do that. I love. I love so much. <laughs> I love my family. <laughs> I love my, my girls. I, um, I love the community that we've built and, and the women I know that are around me that, that support and lift me up and I hope I can do that for them. I fear. I fear that maybe I won't do enough. Mm -hmm. I forgive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I forgive all of the people in my life that told me no.
0: Mm -hmm. I want.
1: I want. well, on a very small level, I want a free bird's burrito because I'm in College Station, Texas. <laughs> it's the little things in it's life. It's the little things. <laughs> um, but I want to continue um, to have a fire inside of me for for the work I do. Love it.
0: I believe in luck, hard work, or miracles all 3. Nice. Last one. You ready? Mm-hmm. I persist because
1: I persist because I'm a mother mm-hmm. and my two daughters give me hope.
0: I love that. Thank you for your time. Thank you. But Beyond that, thank you for walking through my principal's office door so many years ago. (laughs) As I like to tell my colleagues at that time and all those since then, thank you, because it has provided opportunities not only for me, but with all those young people and educators that I have the privilege of working for and with. And if it were not for you walking through that door. I would not be in this chair talking to you again Mm -hmm. so many years later with all your accomplishments
1: well thank you um i think you said it so beautifully before i felt like our souls connected and i could have walked through a million doors and that wouldn't have happened and i'm so thankful i walked through your door because you always inspire me you always make me better and i loved working on that project with you and to see the lives that you've touched and the work that you've done i just i'm in awe of you so thank you well, listen, we have
0: lots of work that we've done, but lots more to do, right? That's right. That's On right. that, we will continue working. we should working. have fun doing it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but to our audience, I hope you've listened to this entire conversation and all the other conversations that we've had on all of our platforms. But as we close out today, I want to encourage you all to be like Lindsay. And as you work to make the world a better place, take a chance on yourself with strength and courage. Have a great day.